0: From Frankenstein to Godzilla, monsters have always represented something more than they are. Monsters are icons, symbols, and the monsters of cryptozoology are no different. In America, the giant man-ape known as Bigfoot unquestionably rules the roost when it comes to cryptids, and to some, he represents the American idea of the frontier, a symbol that their landscape is still wild and untamed, a place where we can test our mettle against nature and carve our place in the American dream. Britain is different. The national myth and self-image here are different. For the British, it could be said that their cryptozoological monsters represent a need to re-enchant the landscape. For, in a nation so denuded of nature and wilderness, to believe that a giant predator cat or a terrifying owl man could stalk the countryside would mean that there is still a vestige of the wild for us to escape to though themselves objects of fear, British monsters perhaps themselves represent a deeper fear and a guilt for the loss of natural heritage. Some of the animals we'll talk about tonight fit into the classic bestiary of British folklore. But some very much don't, almost as if they have been imported wholesale from the paranormal culture of America. Tonight, I'll be talking about British cryptids with naturalist and wildlife photographer Neil Phillips, and we'll be touching on Nessie, alien big cats, the owl Man, and returning once again to the baffling subject of the British Bigfoot. This recording was made once again in the woods surrounding the bunker, so sound quality may be variable, but we think you'll enjoy the ambience of the forest during the interview. I'm Kean, and in the strange new post-truth world, this is the podcast that uses tales of the paranormal, urban legends, and weird fiction to find out exactly why people believe weird things. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. Kean, we are here in the forest somewhere at an undisclosed location in <laughs> deepest, darkest Essex. With me is Neil Phillips. Neil is a... would you describe yourself as a naturalist? I
1: suppose so, yeah. That's a naturalist, not a naturist. So I keep my nope. clothes on, thankfully.
0: Uh, and a, a, a quite accomplished uh, wildlife photographer as well. Not too bad. <laughs> uh,
1: anything else you'd like on your CV? Um, something involving lots of money would be nice. But um, no, I suppose... <laughs> Yeah, i do a bit of environmental education as well, I suppose, on the old TV there.
0: So um, we are talking about uh, British, largely British cryptids uh, yeah. for this episode. Um, I, I must say it's a pleasure to have somebody on the show who is actually a scientist and <laughs> a naturalist. Especially. <laughs> <laughs> who actually has an interest in this sort of thing because the two interests don't cross over all that much, which I suppose is a statement on the, the state of cryptozoology in general. Um, which is that a lot of it is not done by qualified people. I think that's fair to say. Enthusiasts,
1: mm. perhaps? Yeah, and I, f- I think a lot of scientists will distance themselves mm. from it for, for fear of ridicule and not being taken serious, I guess.
0: Right, let's Just in case anyone listening is not familiar with uh, the terminology, we'll define our terms. Cryptozoology is the supposed
1: study of mysterious animals. Yeah, and uh, uh, one definition is creatures that have not been described yet. So you could argue some things like the. Um, some of these um, new species of bird and stuff that turn up and mammals that in recent times could be like the Komodo dragon, was. could be an example of this. A lot of people thought they didn't really exist, um, and then it was proved to science in the 19th century, I imagine.
0: Yeah, and, and people who are in favor of this idea often point out a few key cases where mm. animals were known by folklore and stories first before they were catalogued by science. So the ones you always hear about would be. Uh, the mountain gorillas, which were oh, yeah. not known to Western scientists until the mid-19th century. And then they d- I think they didn't get a type specimen until about 1912. So they were considered semi-mystical before then. Mm. Uh, uh, the coelacanth, yep, that's of course, it. was another case. So people, will, if you don't know the story, that was a, a type of fish that was considered to have been extinct since, I think, the Cretaceous. Yeah. Until it was found off the coast of South Africa in 1938. And people who are proponents of the cryptozoological real, like the the physical idea that these are real physical creatures will usually point to those stories and say, look, sometimes um, large charismatic species have been found where they were not known to exist previously.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one thing worth pointing out with the cedar camp is, is Although it is similar to the Cretaceous one, it is a much larger and different animal. But um, it is of that group. lobe fin fishes, I think.
0: That's right. So it's not exactly the same as the fossil ones.
1: But it's a group we thought were extinct.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes these things do come up. And you will, if you follow these stories, you know, there have been some large animals that have been discovered in recent years. I believe there was a type of Uh, deer that was found in Vietnam as late as the mid-90s. Yeah, Yeah, so turning up
1: new primates every so often as well. That's
0: right. So occasionally these things do happen. Um, So like I said, the the focus for this episode will be things in Britain, and I think that's its own kettle of fish because most of these stories are set in kind of more remote or um, more wild places. It's kind of conceptually easier to imagine that there might be something hiding out in the wilds of Nepal than it is uh, Essex, for example, yeah. <laughs> which which I think is really important. I think it's really key to all of this, which is that this there's, there's a culture attached to this stuff, isn't there?
1: Yeah, rooted like, really in folklore. A lot of this isn't it? Yeah,
0: and I think it's been imported. Like some of the stuff we're going to talk about is very native to the UK mm. and comes from the tradition of, of folklore that we have here. But some of it, I think, is like Americanized stuff that's been re-imported. Yeah. You know, like the whole Bigfoot culture in America with all the hunters and uh, all the the stuff that goes along with that has kind of been secondarily re-imported here, even though on the face of it, it seems kind of ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Kind of like Halloween, really, isn't it?
0: A little bit like (laughs) Halloween, yeah. yeah. When I lived in America, Americans would say, ''Oh man, do you guys have Halloween in Ireland?'' say man we invented it yeah although anyone who actually knows their history of pagan folklore would hate me for saying that but that's, that's in the popular conception right so neil um, what are we going to start with um, we have a long list of uh, questionable creatures here
1: Shall we start with the big one should we start with nessie let's start, okay, okay let's start with nessie um, cuz you got um, I mean i suppose you could argue it goes back to with uh, kelpie does not it the 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 lake horse or sort of whatever you want to call it and is various stories of children being lured into lakes by big horses. Is that a
0: Scottish? Is that I a typically Scottish, Scottish story? From
1: what I can see, it's mostly Scottish. And it's yeah. like
0: a kind of a fairy creature, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a bit like a unicorn or something like that, I suppose. it's uh, and, and there's various depictions of it. Um, same as the unicorns, actually. Um, again, that's another British one, I suppose. I've, we've veered off already, but there we go. Um, the, the unicorn you see today is a horse with a, a single horn on it, but there's various different versions with different animal parts on there and yeah, it's it's quite amazing when you look into it.
0: Um, and again, I, w- I would put that into a particular strand of folklore associated with sort of otherworldly beings associated with bodies of water. Yeah. And again, like folklorists will often say, well, this probably goes back to, you know, the, the quite understandable need to teach your kids to stay away from places yeah. that are actually dangerous. Yeah. So, you know, having a story about a creature, every culture seems to have them. You have the kappa in Japan. Uh, and and you have Jenny Greenteeth, and which is another British folkloric uh, water monster. And um,
1: Morag. So who's Morag? Uh, that's Lake. Uh, it's a, It sounds like Morag. I forget what the lake's called now. But uh, it, says, yeah, there's, it seems every lock. I shouldn't say lake. We should be in Scotland. Really, every lock. Yes. Um, has uh, a monster in it for the sounds of things. Um, there's most famous one being Nessie, I suppose.
0: So if you were reading a, a fairly, an uncritical take on the story of Nessie they will often say something like, oh, you know, this story goes back hundreds of years oh, and yeah. there's been legends. And um, I don't think that's really the case from my reading. So no. the story of Nessie really starts when...
1: That's that sighting in 1933, I believe. Yes,
0: yeah. yes. So the first of the modern sightings is from 1933. Um, and this is when, I, I, as far as I, I can tell from my reading, the legend that we know it mm. kind of gets kicked into its modern shape. And what you'll find often with these stories is that the, the the enthusiasts the cryptozoologists will take out their old books and they'll go through all the old newspaper no, yeah. reports and they'll try and find something older to hang a story on and connect it and say oh look so the one you'll always hear about Loch Ness is that was it Keel was the saint Gosh, who, yeah, who, one the saints, who fights it? a sort of a nebulously defined sixth dragon 6th century I believe yes it? in the 6th in the century he, he uh, defeats he uses like the power of Christianity to defeat a dragon on the river Ness not necessarily Loch Ness yeah. and of course, people in the 20th century look back and say, oh, that's clearly the same creature. Yeah.
1: And it's,
0: yeah, there's always this attempt to give the stories a longer history. Yeah. Which I find really interesting.
1: It's it's, it's always, and it's funny, well, not funny, it's, it always happens, you get that one sighting that hits the news and then everyone sees it, don't they? Now, yeah. is it, So I suppose the cryptozoolists might say, oh, well, it shows that it's there because everyone's looking for it, but it, it's also this... Subconscious yes. planting of ideas and and people just trying to get in the paper. Let's face it, sometimes it's what they?
0: they call a flap in in UFO lore. Yeah. When when something just the idea gets out there and suddenly everybody's
1: seeing it everywhere. Yeah. I have mean, got the, some of the uh, that original sighting. Uh, it was quite interesting what happened straight after. You've got um, uh, I think go, uh, in a circus offered twenty thousand pounds anyone that could catch it. So it sort of forms formed a bit of a circus then. Of course, the locals love it for the tourism. I think I can't remember how many millions it brings into the local area every year, even today. Yeah. Um, So I mean, it's one of like, and it's quite a romantic thing, isn't it? I think there's actually I've I have actually been to the Loch Ness Museum, Loch Ness (coughs) Monster Museum, Museum, but apparently there's two of them. I didn't realise till afterwards.
0: (laughs) Are they feuding? I don't know. That would be so typical if they were feuding.
1: The one I went to had a cool submarine, and to be fair to it, it was quite um, grounded and treated and, and treated all the. The stories as stories rather than facts necessarily, and uh, went through the whole shebang, which we're probably going to cover in a bit. I suppose of well, how people look for it over the last century. Or I mean, so.
0: spoilers for my own conclusion, but I, I tend to look at this stuff as twentieth-century folklore.
1: Yeah, I
0: think in of. in the you know in the mid twentieth century there was just this idea about monsters, wasn't there? That yeah. was you have the yeti and you have the sasquatch and you have Nessie, kind of coming about within a few decades of each other, and there was just something in the ether that people were. Ready to take this seriously for some reason?
1: Yeah, I suppose it. I mean, I've read sorts of things. It, it could be connected to people's disconnection from nature. They just sort yeah. of want to want to grasp back at it, and well, you, you, and you know, we live we live in an age where science proves has proven things aren't true, and people want to believe in the true. I suppose it's that want I want to believe. I suppose as, a, as the X Files said. As a,
0: yeah. Well, you use the word romantic mm. to talk about this, and um, so I think that like there's 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 different nations have different um kind of stereotypical uh, characters and and in in America like Sasquatch is the premier cryptid yeah. and some people have written that he kind of represents this need for you know the idea of the frontier that oh, you know yes. it, it, it's such a part of American identity and mm. and you know the need to go out into the woods and have an adventure in a in a very macho manly kind well, of a show,
1: way i suppose it kind of shows a still wild left kind yes of film, and it? and
0: yeah. in Britain i think it's slightly different right because we don't have that frontier mentality it's not the same self image yeah. but there's this idea of re- re-enchanting the landscape which is like you're saying everything has become far more Everything's more known the mystery and the unknown has been banished yeah, and people want that there's a need for it so we find it wherever we can and if you imagine that in fact the landscape still has monsters in it doesn't that make everything a little bit more yeah. wondrous and exciting?
1: It's kind, of, it kind of, That's kind of similar to the, the debate I've had with people. Environmental education, you're trying to get people interested in the outside. Yes. And there's the argument of, you know, do you need to make it magical? But there's no no enough of the fact that if you start, especially with younger children, and let's face it, some adult, you start talking about fairies and unicorns and elves and little people that they can't see, it kind of entraps them, I suppose... Someone like me, who's just maybe naturally inclined, if give the pardon, to be a naturalist, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm wowed by the social the reality, way of the yeah. <laughs> and or you know, scorpion flies diving into spider's webs and stealing their prey and, you know, jet-propelled dragon fighting Whereas I suppose some people need that magical fairy.
0: Yeah. And it is a debate within outdoor ed, isn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, I... It's just not my way of doing things. I don't do that. I think you're just lying to kids. I I can't get past that. I know it probably it does have a value Mm. in some circumstances. Some people are very good at it, and they bring that magic and they tell the kids, "Oh, there's fairies and there's whatnot." Um, I I think some people are better selling it than us. It's just not my style. Maybe I was too much of a hard scientist early in my career.
1: That's what I think might be a little bit of that. You bit.
0: probably remember that Dawkins had a, had a book called The Magic of Reality, in yeah. which he was trying to sell that idea you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think current events have shown that we have sort of failed in that. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think people are currently chasing unicorns yes. <laughs> rather than
1: reality in various ways. And voting for one, but let's not go into that
0: here. <laughs> right. Do we want to say anything else about Nessie? Do well, we...
1: well, we could have a look through some things. I mean, we could talk about that infamous surgeon's photograph yes which has been proved almost beyond well it's basically i think they pretty much admitted it was a fake um and you read into the backstory apparently um, one of the people involved in it um for those don't know it was faked by a wood putty it's on the front of darren's book there he had a picture yeah yeah so putty on a toy submarine (laughs) and apparently the story goes that as they were faking it um a, a water bailiff was coming along and they had to tread on the model to sink it so i didn't see what was going on oh goodness and a, and a legend has it it still sits upon the bottom of loch ness oh, today imagine if, if you found that that'd be, that'd be worth a fortune. That, that
0: boat would now be its own legend yeah it would the surgeon's it? photo in case in case you, you, you haven't seen it yeah. you, have. You, you have everybody you have. this is one of the two most iconic images yeah. in all of cryptozoology one of course would be the patterson gimlin film from 1967 or big or big or for, a big, big for a man in a suit and the other one is that. the classic uh, sauropod
1: neck. Yeah, it's basically nice it's a black, the black silhouette, black and white photo. <laughs> 1936? Uh, Question mark? 34. 34, 34. okay. 34.
0: So, yeah, I mean... I have mean, got notes to cheat, don't worry. If, if you <laughs> boiled down all of cryptozoology into just a, a couple of iconic yeah. images, like on the cover, I'm looking at um, Darren Naish's book, Hunting Monsters, which I do recommend. Yep, good book. It's a good book from 2016. Um, and, you know... What else are you going to put on the cover of your book about cryptozoology? Only those two pictures. So there's kind of a lot riding on that picture, isn't there? The modern concept of Nessie as being a sort of a plesiosaur-like creature possibly starts with that picture.
1: And uh, uh, Darren had a paper out on sea monsters, not Nessie, like all the papers said. Yes,
0: yes, Um, he was annoyed. uh, He was very annoyed annoyed about about that. that.
1: I don't blame him, though. But you can can see the papers doing it. But talking of newspapers and inaccurate reporting, apparently... Part of the story behind that photo is um, the good old reliable, he says if... Daily Sarkas, Mail, daily it's a Daily Mail. mail. <laughs> daily Mail um, uh, ridiculed um, one, I don't know if it was one of their reporters or something like that, a member of staff, um, someone who got fooled by um, some Nessie footprint hoax. So he, he conspired with a load of other people and sold this photo to the Daily Mail who published it as fact, knowing full well mm. it was fake. Mm. So uh, apparently it was just to make <clears> the Daily Mail look stupid, which, you know... It, if, in, in hundred, you know, nearly 100 years later, they're still doing it to themselves, anyway, so I don't know why. I nearly
0: it, 100 years later, if you go looking for articles about any of this stuff, no. it's difficult to find anything that isn't the Daily Mail. No, Nobody that, else is, is reporting this stuff, no. which makes A it difficult. Oh, the star! <laughs> it makes it difficult to research, doesn't it? Because
1: yeah, uh, yeah. It is probably, I mean, there was, for those who don't know the story of Loch Ness, there's been loads of expeditions to. Yeah. So artists. Uh, underwater cameras. There's that famous uh, rhomboid Oh yeah, yeah, shop yeah. You've probably seen that somewhere as well. Um, which some people again say it's, it's been sort of scorched on the negative, and it's not actually really there.
0: It is an impressive picture, actually. Yeah, it, it
1: does look cool. that. That convinced me as a kid. I don't know yeah, how, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I had convinced. it in
0: a. I had it in a Colin Wilson book oh, as wow. a kid. If you know, if you remember him, he used to write those kind of unexplained mystery books that were popular. Yeah. You know, from the 70s through to the 90s.
1: I mean, there's a story that goes with that flipper as well, I found out. That, um, that famous um, British naturalist Peter Scott, as in oh, yeah, a, uh, yeah. Wild and Wetland Trust. Did you know about this? I know this story. I, yes. I, I didn't know this. Um, he gave it a name, which was. Uh, Nesocetus Necessi- rhombacteriksis. That's the one. <laughs> um, which someone, uh, Nicholas Fairbairn, a politician, um, claimed was an anagram for monster hoax by Sir, Sir Peter, Peter S. S. I think that's
0: been debunked. Is he, it? He, yeah, I've, I've looked into this. Um, mm. He was actually quite a believer. There's a lot of evidence to show that... this is what I thought, which is what I
1: was surprised by, the anagram. He was
0: quite, yeah, he was quite generous, or he was quite genuine in his his belief in the Mm. creature. But that only goes to show how we look at evidence and we find our own story in it. So, like, to the degree that you can make that anagram when, in all likelihood, it wasn't intended. Like, everyone is out looking at the same evidence and sorting it into different
1: ways to suit what they already think. And this is Peter, Peter, Peter Scott on the highest highest regarded conservation. I think it's the person that David Attenborough himself mm. holds highest out of, mm-hmm. you know, all the natural I've actually heard him say something like that. Um, Darren
0: j- Nish does talk about this. He has a very extensive article about yeah. about the Loch Ness Monster on Tetsu, yeah. which we'll put a link to. It's worth looking at. He goes into yeah. incredible depth about the various people who investigated this and um, kind of what their psychological uh, yeah. take on it was. And... Um, yeah, worth a look, if uh, you're interested. So
1: in my research, I was also reminded of, uh, do you remember the... Oh, in fact, would you have been in the UK for that? The Searching for Loch Ness Monster, BBC. I, what year was that? Not 2003. No, no, no. So what happened? Um, they uh, they basically... I forget the number. I think it was 600 sonar things across the whole lake, and they found no trace of a large animal. But <clears> been over the years, there have been various sonar pings, shall we say... But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, one was it ph- was phytoplankton or something and there's you know, and they're always like isolated mm. things. There just doesn't seem to be enough. Yeah. You know, you'd see lots of them, wouldn't you? Um, but, I, I, I mean, I love the, have you heard, you, I mean, you must be familiar with some of the theories of what people are seeing and stuff. I mean, there's... Yeah. Um, Floating logs and ducks and otters and seals. Are seals and otters in the lock. Um, can you imagine when they're moving, swimming deer. I quite like that one because hmm. people don't realise how good deer at swimming. Do you know how they find them in the middle of the channel? Um, no. English Channel. Oh. I've actually heard a story of uh, um, a deer found outside a Welsh deer park um, that had a tag from France on it. <laughs> so where for someone had brought it across or? You know, who knows, but um, they've seen them from <laughs> ferries quite a lot, apparently, deer That's swimming a, What in, kind of... Like, uh, the red deer. Red deer, red right. Deer. Wow. So they're, they're powerful animals. Where, where are they going? What makes them decide to... Well, um, it was the, you could see a situation where the wind's blowing and the males can smell the females, and if anyone's seen rutting deer, they'll see how um, one-minded they get. Um, I could see them trying to swim across the channel. Whether or not they make it, I don't know. But, um, Interesting. Um I haven't seen it. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of Jeremy Way's River Monsters. Apparently he did an episode on that and he concluded it was a Greenland shark or sleeper shark. And I was like, but do they survive in marine... would they survive in fresh water? But apparently they, in theory, they could. Whether well, or not they can, I'm not sure. Yeah, TV programme science is never peer-reviewed, no. is it? Um, uh, one uh, theory I, as a kid I come across was uh, it being a giant amphibian. Hmm. Some sort of weird, long-necked giant amphibian, which was quite strange. Didn't uh, well, somebody
0: s- propose that it was some kind of giant snail or oh, gastropod? yeah. Some I sort mean,
1: of gastropod? Um, the, some of you might be familiar with a tally monster. Have you seen the tally monster? Is that weird... No. Well, they said it's an invertebrate, but now it's recently been said to be an early uh, chordate or vertebrate. <laughs> it's this very weird animal. Imagine sort of... Um, how do I explain it? An elongate melon with some sort of fins <laughs> on, but its mouth is... Um, a really long extended a bit like a pliosaur neck with a, oh, with a mouth on the end right and they're saying some sort of giant foot. I mean yeah so some animals survived sort of that's worse than a plesiosaur survived so, so its level. mouth sticking up years old would give something.
0: the same shape as the, the classic Nessie yeah. surgeon photo
1: I personally I prefer the long neck that, that's quite cool um, a <laughs> okay, whale's catfish isn't it st- I heard sturgeon as well suggested because it could it is the odd sturgeon turned up in British water you can imagine that breaking the surface mm bit of a scaly back do you know
0: the more i read about this stuff the the more it makes me feel like trying to find something that matches the
1: the stories is not the way to go they don't all, all, the, they, they're they're all just they're all different they're all different descriptions i mean what is it i try to summarize what it looks like and it's uh, <laughs> a long necked thing sometimes with two humps sometimes has horns sometimes has yeah. a horsey type yeah. head um oh it's yeah, it's, it's a bit like the sea serpents and sea monsters. So what I'm
0: interested in is, is how a folkloric entity yeah. uh, that begins, like when, when the story gets started, it might have many different forms. It doesn't, it hasn't been locked down into a particular shape yet. Yeah. And then when one popular image takes off because of maybe a famous photo or maybe yeah. a famous story like the surgeon picture, then suddenly after this, you find that all of the other stories start to match that. And this happens with lots of crypto creatures.
1: I mean, it's what uh, Darren, uh, I forget the other author's name, sorry, um, Darren's paper Yes. recently on sea monsters, not Loch Ness, I'll make that clear, um, was mentioned. He said as soon as the fossil uh, plesiosaurs turned up, suddenly the, all, the, all these, the, sea, nearly, mo- yeah, all these ne- sea monsters were plesiosaurs, weren't they? And a, so
0: that was what, 1819 or something, when they were yeah. starting to find those. And uh, yes, yeah, so suddenly the. the, the late
1: surviving plesiosaurs. I mean, the one form I have of that model is. Uh, of course creationists have leapt upon that like a lot of these yes. things it's, oh look the earth's only 10,000 years old because these creatures aren't, aren't actually extinct
0: so I have a little quote from Darren's book, Hunting Monsters it just, and this, this is something I find more and more as I research this stuff he says studies have shown time and time again that people are essentially terrible data recallers yeah. they frequently make incredible blunders memories and observations warp over time and are horrendously prone to later influences phantom memories abound, and what people remember and describe to others is simply not the same as what they see in the first place. If cryptozoological literalism has one erroneous belief at its core, it's the idea that eyewitness data is reliable, sufficiently so that we can rely on it at face value as a firm indication that a set of unknown animals really exist. And I came across another quote this week talking about Bigfoot rather than a British creature, but they basically said you don't have to have seen a hairy monster to remember seeing a hairy monster. Yeah. And have you ever been in the situation where you you absolutely ha- thought you had a memory of something, yep. and it was it was proven to you that you your your memory of it was completely mixed up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had that <laughs> might be a description of some sort of mental illness, but I remember I had a dream as a child and was convinced it was real. It, but I dreamed that there was other people there who, when I spoke to them, they were like, "What are you on about?" I,
0: I have loads of examples of like things that happened to me. When I was a teenager where i i I thought i remembered things happening and it turned out i wasn't there it happened to somebody else but i'd been telling the story for so long that because memory is not a a recording device no it's it's an ego protecting device that interprets everything and is rewritten every time you remember something yeah so just because you feel like you remember something happening that is a very poor indication of what really Mm. happened and when I was a kid and I would read these books kind of uncritically, I was always very impressed by the number of sightings. I would, you know, the books would always say, well, people are reporting seeing something. Yeah. You know, if there's, you know, 800 Nessie reports throughout the course of the 1930s, well, what, people are seeing something, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, not necessarily, you know, just because people are reporting something doesn't mean that they're seeing something. And that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge change in thinking. Like, there's been lots of reports that show how bad witness reports are. And yeah. cryptozoology is built
1: on witness reports. In fact, usually very little else. Well, that, that thing, I think that was, I am not sure what you're saying for you, when you reach a certain age and you realise that the hard evidence isn't there. I mean, um, the famous proof that it doesn't, Nessie doesn't exist is the whole fish stock argument, isn't it? That um, I mean, I was reading a blog that's very pro-Nessie and he added up all the fish stocks and stuff like that um, and was saying, oh, all the estimates are underestimates because they're too very, they're you know, not accurate enough. Um, and to be fair to him, he sort of tempered his estimates. But even with justification, he was saying, oh, there could be sort of 24-ton animals living off this. And, wow. And you're like, that's still not enough for a viable population of. And uh, my personal favourite is that oh, around that is um, that they migrate out to the sea <laughs> uh, through Inverness <laughs> when, whenever the uh, whenever the scientists arrive, yeah, looking for. Yeah, yeah. And and, and and they manage to sneak past in finesse, and uh, it's the whole. Unless it's some sort of oh, I mean, I mean it's been six million years, maybe it's a water-breathing reptile, but uh, yeah, please, um, right. It, it just doesn't add up, sadly. So, unless it's some some sort of weird um, Godzilla-like animal that hibernates <laughs> for millions of years,
0: or I, I don't identify as a skeptic. I don't. I don't like no. a lot of the baggage that comes with no. that word and that movement. Um, I, I try to be a realist about this stuff, but I do have a love for it, you know. And yeah. I, I prefer to read from people who are objective, but who have a little bit of a warmth towards it, you yeah. know. Mostly like us, because probably they liked that stuff when they were kids. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just don't identify with some of the more. So I try to come at it as open-minded as possible. You know, I'll, I'll try and investigate this stuff. Like, I'm ho- hopefully someday I'll find something that's legit.
1: <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not a bad omen that a cuckoo started cuckooing, as you started saying that. No, they're, they're, <laughs> they're always
0: here. Right, shall we move on to another creature?
1: Yeah, let's go. Um, uh, oh, what about black sharks? Oh, the The large black dogs.
0: I feel like I've seen one once. Really? So this is...
1: This is how the Baskervilles type stuff, isn't ha, it? Yeah, yes.
0: And this is um, the only time I think something potentially that seemed like a supernatural thing happened to me. Mm. Um, but black black dogs are more is that cryptozoology or is that more
1: folkloric uh, it's sort of they're of supernatural inter- it's an they? intersection of the two Whoa. i mean i mean there's there's some um i mean we're going to go to big cats later but i i can't help but feel there's some sort of intersection there especially the beast above me which i think started off as one of these sort of black shark things although what i've read, black shuck is a neat more of an east anglia thing um there's a, a report somewhere i've I read it's a Viking legend of uh, this dog of Odin or something like that yes. and they've the Vikings brought over to Norfolk and stuff like that so whether that's the origin of it or but you can you can see people seeing stuff silhouetted and you know maybe imagination takes well but uh, if... so the idea is, is, is that people walking in the countryside mm.
0: usually on dark nights and you know at a remote place Julius in a country lane or something yeah. will see uh, an oversized black dog um, sometimes it kind of depends on where you are in the country and what the folklore is like. Sometimes it's a, it's a good omen and sometimes it's a bad one. Mm. Sometimes they have glowing eyes. Sometimes they have one single eye. Yeah, sometimes so the eyes are red. Sometimes they're, they're yellow. I really, really liked that story when I was a kid. I was really weirded out by I've this. I've
1: seen churches. I know,
0: Church So I think this is more of a folkloric thing. than uh, Because the idea behind cryptozoology is that at least originally, people were saying, "Look, what if these things are physical animals, mm. right?" So I don't know that anyone out there is saying the black shuck is really a physical. No. But I think you're right. Isn't there some connection to the the alien big cats in Britain? Then isn't yeah. there there's some there's some holdover in folklore that has been transferred?
1: Yeah, that's what I, I do wonder if that's because some people think. Um, the beast of Bodmin is some sort of magical, pan-dimensional creature, I believe, and, and again, much this to the annoyance of the <laughs> big cat workers. It's a, this, yeah, is, it's this is what
0: is called supernatural creep. Yeah. When at the beginning, yeah. scientists or researchers will say, "Oh, yeah, this is an actual physical nuts and bolts phenomena," and then as the evidence doesn't turn up, they start to say, "Oh well, maybe it's more spooky and yeah. supernatural." And this has happened with Bigfoot. This has uh, happened Nessie. with Nessie. This, oh yeah, because maybe he's a
1: he's he's hiding in a different dimension when they hear you <laughs> It's quite obvious when you think about it.
0: Yeah, I yeah, that stuff is it's kind of infuriating sometimes. Yeah. You end up usually with two camps of believers yeah. who one, you know you've got the nuts and bolts believers
1: and then you've got the more mystical ones and they usually hate each other. And the mystical and the mystical is probably the main reason that scientists tend to just take a swerve when it comes to this sort of stuff. Yeah,
0: so then you get the the researchers who feel that they're being more scientific. And they they're angry at the mystical believers because they think it's giving their field a bad name. I mean, which it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fair question, okay. So what what else do we want to say about the black shuck?
1: Um, should we talk about the local um, sighting at St Nicholas Church in Bazden? I, I checked on the map. I in thought it was, I thought it was up sort of on Langdon Hills, and it's actually Bazden. I think if it's where I think it is from the map, it's you know within a few hundred meters of the big famous hollywood yeah. style bazardon sign yes which uh, so it's in a urban area it's 95 i don't know how much built it up it was well, 95 because bazardon's quite a fast-growing town but um yeah a group of teenagers were walking outside the church and um, they split into two um that's the group not physically um and yeah a group of them saw this black large black dog and they all and he the guy apparently the person, the witness statement was uh Saying uh, he worked with dogs, he said, Oh, just don't run, he'll set it off. And they fight, took five steps and all started running and screaming, but the dog ra- ran off. So, I mean, I can't help but think it's just someone with a lurcher and they just imagine <laughs> the imagination. There's lots of badgers around there, who knows? If you want to look for an explanation, yeah. or just teenagers with an overview of imagination, who knows? But, but then again, again, lots of these sorts of When items. you have
0: a pre existing folklore, yeah. if you're in Britain mm. and you've heard this story of the black dog and you see something a bit weird you know, you, you, will you interpret it in that context? Exactly. You might. Mm. So that's interesting. Yeah. There's others. Because there's, I've been on... What's the name of the... There's a site that chronicles kind of weird creature sightings in Britain.
1: Oh, is that the map?
0: Yeah, the there's the map. Cryptid, we'll cryptid map. We'll put a link to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how seriously you'd take that, but if nothing else, it's a very interesting... Mm. It shows, you well, know, where, where the folklore I is. Did,
1: I went on one, and it was meant to be... I think it was from that map. There might be more one of these maps. Um, and he clicked on a link to Hanningfield, and it's supposedly meant to be Bigfoot at Hanningfield River Oh, I've, seen, Lashaw I've Lashaw. seen that video. And they're all laughing, and it's obviously not a real thing, but someone's yeah. obviously just literally glimpsed it and yeah, put it it, on it's, the it's link. very
0: clearly a couple of people having a joke yeah. while a guy in a bad Bigfoot foot costume yeah. walks around in the woods. And somebody has it's just someone in a ghillie suit, actually. Somebody has put this up on the on the map, so it does make you wonder how, how closely this stuff is being vetted.
1: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Should we, we carry on with Bigfoot then? Yeah, okay, oh, so... do you want to talk a bit more about your black shark? Oh, sh- you okay, I've, I've, really I've, I've much, told right? the story
0: at least once on, on the show before, but very quickly, um, I had a job in Canada, up in the north of Ontario, and uh, I worked at a uh, like a nature centre that was quite remote, and on a weekend I would go for a walk into the nearest town, pick up some stuff, and I would have to go through this wooded area that felt quite remote. It was by a by lake, but you couldn't see the lake because the forest was quite thick. Now, there were houses, like holiday homes in the area, you know, cabin, it's what Canadians call cabin country, but they were very well spread out because the property each of them had was enormous and was thickly wooded. So I, I stopped to uh, <clears throat> step off the path and uh, answer the call of nature on, on one particular evening mm-hmm. as it was getting dark, and in the gloom... Um, something appeared behind me that I, I'm certain hadn't been there a moment earlier, and it took the shape of a large black silhouette of a thing that looked like a Great Dane, mm. and um, I, I was, I, I got a shock and I took a step backwards, and uh, when I had got myself together again, it was gone. So I only saw it for a moment. It's not impossible that it was just somebody's dog from one of yeah. the houses, but they. The houses were about a half a mile away from each other. Mm. So, with thick forest in between. So, you know, I mean, house pets tend not to... No.
1: Wander. So, I don't think they'd let them wander in bear country, yeah. really so would they? Yeah, it's, so, it's not...
0: Well, it wasn't quite bear country, oh. but... It wasn't impossible that that's what happened, but it seemed unlikely. So, it wasn't that I saw something impossible, it was just that I saw something a bit strange and a bit out of place. And it was... I, I thought it was interesting that the, the closest... Out of all my reading of mystical happenings and creatures, the story it tallied closely to, closest to, was of course the the British black shuck. Yeah. And here I was, maybe seeing it in a in a, in a very different country.
1: There are of course sightings in the U.S. of all the and yeah America generally that sort Well, of
0: again, this is there's like spillover, isn't it? Yeah. Like we're, we'll talk about the the big cats, but as far as I know, that did start as a British phenomenon. Yeah. And now, it's it's everywhere. It's it's in Australia and it's in mm. it's in Canada too. So.
1: So should we go on to Bigfoot while we're <laughs> in Britain, shall we? Yeah,
0: so I've done, I've done an episode about British Bigfoot. I think it was one of the first shows. Oh. Um, I'm very interested to hear what you think about this because this is well, really I out there. After, yeah, after bit, I Most people don't like know that, this is a, a thing.
1: Um, I, I, I was surprised to find there was a British Bigfoot research group. Um, I think it's one person. Is it one person. Yeah, so it's, oh, I, okay.
0: I'm not going to name any names, um, no. but I think that the most one person. F-
1: the most famous <laughs> sighting is, is that Yellowham Hill endorse it and, and i've got a picture of the photo here you can see it's literally <laughs> it's a load of trees and there's a brown blob behind it um and i have to say as a photographer it gets very low score oh dear of representing it it's such a, it's even in the animal in the habitat i mean it's not even framed in the two thirds but um yeah uh it literally looks i mean i'm looking at that and that looks to me like the rotten side of a tree to me but, well uh, there's
0: quite a few of these stories if you look for them yeah if you do a google news search but they're all from the star in the mail yeah. and yeah. like some of them have had explanations there was an interest a genuinely interesting one where a woman um i think it was in essex she was surprised by something big and hairy in the woods and but, took a picture of it that yeah. was <laughs> at least you know kind of kind of um striking and it it turned out to be a dad who was playing hide and seek with his kid and oh,
1: nice. well there's, a, there's apparently stories of a it's not necessarily Bigfoot, but some sort of hairy ape-like creature been seen around Wallasey Island as well. I saw that.
0: Do you know, I think the, most, the most interesting thing I learned researching that was that mm. there actually was a bunch of 19th century stories mm. in the south, you know, in the, in the relatively populated south of England of kind of mystery creatures, like m- monkey men and stuff like that. Not, not a lot of them, but there were a few in the 1870s and 80s. And obviously the British Bigfoot researchers like to tie these recent sightings back to that. So, okay, here's a question for you. I was listening to a podcast last week, again, no names, and a guy who was, like, very pro-British Bigfoot was saying, oh, people think that Britain isn't big enough to host an animal like this, but actually, blah, 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 he gave a bunch of statistics about how...
1: Yeah, we, we are surprisingly un yes, but... Yes, yes, but... It's all human influence. The only yeah. big areas of wilderness, really, I mean, even in the new forest... Um, you, it, how many people easy. live in the new? Yes, yeah, so like. of people live in New Forest. It's quite easy to find areas where people are, but there'll be intersections of people. I mean, um, they're open as well, aren't they? Yeah. they're not. Um, they're not like lar- the Cangods. Yeah, it's, it's basically a huge one huge grouse moor of a few patches of woodland. Yeah. These days. it's hard um, to
0: imagine a large animal. Yeah,
1: without game. Gang- you would, you well, would see them from. Well, given how what happens to birds of prey in uh, <laughs> the kangourns, <laughs> they'd have been shot by now, wouldn't they, or yeah. anything. So I just, <clears throat> this is the debate,
0: isn't it? People say, "Oh, I can imagine a large an- hidden animal in in the in the Pacific Northwest in America," but you know it's kind of ridiculous to imagine a that population
1: in of them. Is, I mean, you can od- imagine the odd one, like big cats, which we'll come to later. But <laughs> you'd have to have a population of a, a certain density to mm. for it to exist, unless, of course, you're getting into the paranormal mythical. Yeah. But, but you're right. Like Britain this, speaking. this
0: guy basically said, "Oh well, you know, the percentage of urban area is, mm. very like six or eight percent or something, and the percentage of what he called wilderness was mm. like surprisingly high." But mm. I think like mo- everything is influenced by man here. Yeah. You know, oh, um, there is like a wild it, bit in Britain. It's it's farm or it's uh, plantation forestry yeah. or it's like you say there are mountainous areas where people don't live in Scotland, but they're 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 not forested. No. If they are, it's it's plantation firs.
1: And even the places where people don't live there, there is quite a culture of hiking around i think mean, northwest scotland is about the only place that people don't go if you know what i mean everywhere has got a road within a day's walk of almost apart from up there yeah you know and people would wild hike and see these things you don't get that many reports of things like that but no i mean yeah I mean, it's the photographic evidence of bigfoot <laughs> always cracks me up i mean the uh I'm, Uh, The only reason I would agree to do this podcast is so I could quote (laughs) Futurama with the the classic quote from the classic Bigfoot episode of uh, Bigfoot typically dwells just behind rocks, (laughs) sometimes playfully bounding into thick fogs and out-of-focus areas, which kind of sums up the in fact, a lot of these cryptids photos. I mean, as a wildlife photographer, (laughs) it is a lot harder than people think, not to big myself up, to get nice, clean photos. Yeah. But you'd think by now especially advent of camera traps a lot of these things would be getting caught on camera a lot more now you know what i mean you there's know.
0: there's a, a graph and i i can't i don't think it's a real graph supported by actual data it's just a kind of a joke yeah. it might be from xkcd if you remember yeah. that oh, yeah. it was a webcomic yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was like on the x-axis it had like the advent of smartphones yeah and on the y-axis it was like sighting or photographs of supernatural creatures yeah And it's like, now that we all carry a camera with us at all times, you would think that, uh, like, sightings of these things would go up, and they just haven't. Like, you can imagine in the old days, believing that, oh, they're out there, but they're just rare. Therefore, they don't get photographed very often. But it's harder and harder to suspend your disbelief for that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's... uh,
0: Do you you think it's interesting that... Okay, I, I think of... Well, Bigfoot culture is a distinctly American phenomenon, right? The whole... Finding Bigfoot, all those TV shows, the idea that like, it's a hobby to go out into the forest with your guy friends yeah. and knock on trees on a weekend. And like, I feel like we've imported that here, mm. even though we don't have the cultural background for it and we don't have the ecological background for it. It's weird to me.
1: It's a bit weird, isn't it? All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, so, yeah. I don't think either of us are particularly in favour of there being Bigfoots. I mean, I've seen some pretty Bigfoot-like people <laughs> on a Friday night at Romford, but uh, no, I don't think. I think that's, that's just you know not that I particularly am in favour of a lot of those, but I think that is a, a big leap too far for me. Indeed. In the UK, I mean, who knows on in the Himalayas or yeah the out outback or the yeah the vast expanse in America. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think it's okay because I've got, I've got to talk about Big Hoot or Owlman, which is something <laughs> I'd never heard of as a kid, and I think it, it must have been one Of Darren's talks at Tetsucon, I think I first come across them. I was like, What the heck is this? It, it's a giant owl. That, yeah, um, or it's I'd had I think I had heard of Owlman, which is a sort of Cornish, um, sort of I don't know if there's a fo- sort of folklore background to it. I uh, don't think there don't is, know, but I know uh, Cornish towns and villages are legendary for being pronounced different to how they're spelled, but it's spelled Mornan, yeah, um.
0: I oh. don't know how to say that. I've always called it the owl. I've always read it as the owl man Not of like all mouse
1: hole or I
0: I can't guarantee that's how a Cornish person would say it, but
1: yeah. I could I could have asked. I do have actually Cornish friends. So this this Fal, this is near Falmouth. So south south Cornwall. Isn't 1976.
0: It, so. Yep. Two young girls report seeing uh, a creature that looks like an owl, the size of a person with big eyes and a beak and feathers and claws on its feet mm. and it Surprises them in a churchyard, and flies directly up into the air. Yeah. And a few weeks later, a similar encounter at the same place. Yeah, yeah they came Another around. two, uh, two other teenage girls report seeing yeah. this figure again. Now,
1: and if uh, you know, the, as someone was saying, the only reason apparently the Cornish are very private people would <laughs> say they, are, they have a bit of localism about them, I suppose. But they always seem nice to me. But um, basically, all the sightings came out of one person. So some <laughs> through through this one person. So, a lot of people report it to him, and some people cast out on that. But, yeah,
0: um, so th- there isn't a pre existing folklore for this creature. It, it does come from one researcher, a guy called Doc Shields, who, um, a researcher is a bit generous. He was a, bit of a, he was a magician, hmm. and he was already. Uh, the reason he was in Cornwall when he came across this story was he was looking for sea monsters. Yeah. So, he, he was going through a period where he, he actually did some TV shows. Where he like tries to try to raise sea monsters using magical rites, mm. so he clearly went to his yeah. late Harry Price phase, if you want to <laughs> invoke yeah. another earlier ghost hunter. Um, so he seems like a bit of a showman, yeah. uh, and yet yeah, there, th- this story doesn't exist outside of him. No, so there was.
1: I, it's interesting because apparently there was after that, as these sightings happened in the following two years, there's all sorts of weird things going on in South Cornwall. There's a birds. Flocks of birds smashing into people's houses, UFO Oh, Hitchcockian. Sites. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the old good old Falmouth Sea Monster. Nice up again, it was reported. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I did a bit of research in 1989. It was seen again, um, and apparently, uh, and it's interesting. Most of the sightings were women, apparently reporting. It's funny them. how these things just like and people were saying, oh, it's some sort of mystical link with that, and uh, there's one man saw it and he was. How did you describe it? It was the size of a man with a ghastly face, a wide mouth, glowing eyes and pointed ears. It had huge clawed wings, so that's interesting because the other reports didn't have that, Um, and covered in feathers of a silver-grey colour.
0: Is that the 1989 sighting?
1: Uh, That's the 95 one. Oh. So, uh, yeah.
0: It's interesting how usually the first big story sets the template, like... Two yeah. teenage girls sees this creature yeah. in a churchyard, and then it's like a horror movie, isn't it? And yeah, it's like, and then all the other stories have to kind of rip that off yeah. or imitate it.
1: But um, I think the thing that intrigues me with this most is, uh, is it? Uh, Mark A. Hall, cryptologist, quite a famous one. He, he passed away sadly, I think. Um, he linked this to the giant owl sightings, uh, which he called Big Hoot, which is what I, I like um, uh, in the US, and he's even. Uh, claimed that the infamous or famous mothman uh, yeah um, w- was one of these owls and yeah you start looking at it in the, in the states the american indians called them flying heads and big heads they've got a myth so that it goes back further in the states which is interesting and is i think it was him that theorized that maybe it flukes you think that cornwall is the oh, closest yeah. county yeah. to the states maybe it's migrating across you know obviously skipped ireland yeah <laughs> i mean that would be a hell of a twitch if that turned out, wouldn't it uh, Rare I, band, let it go mental. Birdman,
0: I, I do. I do have to wonder if the original Mothman stories, mm. yeah, sorry, and um, um, the original Owlman stories, uh, had anything to do with the because what ten years before that you have John Keel um, investigating the Mothman yeah. in Point Pleasant, Virginia, yeah. and in 1976 I think he wrote his book about it, The Mothman Prophecies. Mm. So again, it's in the ether.
1: What what, see what I loved about this and Darren did touch on his talk, so I had to do a bit of research on it. Um, was that you think a huge owl? How is that going to hide from people? Well, apparently, it, if you look in owls that we know about, um, described owls, some the camouflage of some of them is amazing. They look like the broken off um, part of a trunk. You literally, I've I've gone looking for long eared owls um, in the UK. Um, admittedly, they are partly obscured by twigs and stuff. And I've had a friend of mine literally, I'm less than 10 meters away and he's pointing directly at it and i still can't see it until it opens its eyes well and and i, I love the theory though it's just, um there's actually a witness in rocky fork lake in ohio she describes a, a huge owl um nine ten foot high well she, she said it looked like a huge um tree stump dead tree stump and then it mm. started to move <laughs> Uh,
0: uh, oh, there's a good horror movie in there? And it? it
1: opened its wings. Uh, which I, how big how did you say it was? Uh, it made no noises. It, man, it slowly manoeuvred backwards, unfolded its wings with a span greater than most small airplanes. Now, I, I'd, you know, I, I don't say I believe this, but I really want this to be real. That's that'd exciting, be amazing. Yeah. I will say,
0: for all that we've ranted about the UK not being a place in which big things can conceivably hide out, I'm always astonished by... Um, you, you know how infrequently you see, for example, deer, which yeah. are which are big, large mammals. Yeah. And I lived. I, off, I often tell this story, but I lived in Surrey on Box Hill near Box Hill for a lo- for a long time, and I walked all around it every day for work, and never, you know, you never saw them. No. They were there. I mean, sometimes I at night you'd see one come down onto the lawn, so you knew there was a breeding population up there. But you could crisscross that hill what? every day and almost never see one. It's
1: a smaller scale, but there's. Muntjack deer yeah in not far cent- from here. Central, central London I know they're only small uh, but we've also got um, roe deer in the middle of Glasgow yeah, um, yeah. foxes you know they're not huge um, I will say but, I see them all the time here yeah. they're not as elusive but it shows that there's a big animal yeah can survive sort of it's, it's you know I feel like I'm conjecturing myself a bit there but it's well, again, it like I'm possible. trying, I'm, I'm not, I don't have an agenda
0: with this. I don't yeah. want these things to be real or not real. Yeah. Okay, that's a lie. I totally yeah. want them yeah, to be real. be real. But, but um, I'm willing to, yeah. that little that little factoid always gives me paw, uh, pause for thought, you know?
1: Shall we, we moving, shall we just uh, quick ch- 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 uh, quickly chat about the Canvey Island monster? that's, that's quite a fun one. I, yes. ha- I had heard of it, but never looked into it. So
0: Canvey Island is in Essex.
1: It's sort of, if, yeah, it's on the south coast, it's a, it's a, it's an island just. It's literally a, a little bridge connects the two. But um, they are their own community, I think it was fair to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, the UKIP was very popular there, shall we say. Okay, go okay, okay there. Um, but um, a weird creature washed up on the shore. And there's a, a, a long history of this sort of thing happening around the world. Globsters
0: and Glo- yeah shit.
1: And quite often they turn up in a estates, you know, these... Huge, was it the Montac monster turned out to be a raccoon? Where the third washed off, but this thing, um, I, I saw a picture and I know instantly what it was. What was it? It's an anglerfish. <laughs> These flat, um, it's uh, they, they, there's deep sea versions which are sort of they have that um, globe, the, the globe in front of their mouth to catch them in a huge mouth. But there's sli- slightly shallower sea ones, and um, they probably live in the Thames Estuary. Wouldn't surprise me. Certainly, just in the North Sea they live. Um, huge, great things. Like I think they could be a, a meter across their mouth. Um, But they're flat. But because they live on the seabed, they've got um, their, what would that be, their their rear pair of fins is modified into like feet-like structures, and of course if you're not familiar with that, you'd wonder what the heck that was. Well,
0: how big was the Canvey Island monster?
1: Uh, Well, one washed up that was in a bad state uh, in 53, which was 76 centimetres across. That's not huge yeah that could well be long sorry yeah that but, could well be it but they have huge bulging eyes and massive gills and i uh, imagine if you went, for it all weird looking things i always thought that was bigger like yeah. i think there are bigger ones i'm sure they get bigger but um can
0: yeah. island monster it sounds bigger than yeah. 76
1: centimeters i read an account of um uh, what's it beyond the point there are a couple of local lads in essex that do a lot of the history around here um and, and they, they managed to track someone down that actually saw it and told stories of people poking it and stuff like that to see what happened. And oh, fantastic. Someone said it was a mermaid and, you know, it, it looks nothing like a mermaid. It no. It looks nothing like a monkey sewed to a, a, <laughs> a, a fish's tail. Um, yeah, so that, that was quite a neat little thing. But it shows that people can see magical in... Anything. ...in <laughs> nature, like we were talking about earlier, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. So, shall we get on to big cats? Big, big cats. So I, I think this, like the... Um, like the anglerfish, you sort of—they're they're real, real animals. After all, we know they're real. It's just, are they here? Is the question. I mean, um, I'm a bit of a non-native animal fan. Um, not to see them being here because you know, <laughs> things like grey squirrels and cre- um, signal crayfish cause a lot of damage. Um, uh, but I'd say we've got Victorians had a tradition of introducing alien animals. We know they can exist here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some surprising ones. Uh, there was a load of hamsters for a while, Colony. Uh, wallabies I believe to still exist on Box on Hill too
0: yeah yeah you had some there did you there were there was somewhere nearby
1: I think it's a lake district there's an island in a, yes they lived for years yes there. and I think uh, there is one still persisting somewhere
0: well talk, uh, there, there was a creature a creature known as the Box Hill beast yeah in folklore and again it was never some people described it as being like a big cat yeah. it, some people described it as being different, differently shaped it depends on which kind of folkloric tradition you followed but a guy I worked with and um, always maintained that it was a wallaby yeah. because he thought he saw it one night he was coming home from work on a bike going over box hill at dusk yeah. and he saw what he thought was a dustbin and then suddenly it bounced and took off like 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 a marsupial yeah. bouncing and he later found a collarbone i think on box hill which chris packham <laughs> oh, nice. came to dorking uh, for a talk uh, himself identified as being marsupial, according to the legend. Ooh. I don't know if you can look at a collarbone and say for sure that it comes from a marsupial. Well, I but think
1: because so, they're quite uh, different. Yeah, they split from placental animals like us millions years ago. It wouldn't surprise me if their skeleton is quite distinct. But
0: that was the yeah. that was the story oh, of weird. the Box Hill beast.
1: But I say um, I think the most surprising one we know 100% definitely existed is the porcupines. In, uh, near Oakhampton, do you know about this? Where is this? Oakhampton in Devon. Uh, I think it was Dart, was it Dart? Oh, Pine Valley Wildlife Park, not Dartmoor Zoo. Mustn't get too confused. Um, so Oakhampton's, it uh, Dar- must be East Dartmoor, I think it was mid Dartmoor, East Dartmoor. i trying to think where it is now. Uh, north of Exeter, that sort of area. North East of Plymouth, I suppose, is the nearest big town. Um, they bred, so this is in 1969, two escaped, they bred, and by 1973 at least twelve of them were existing. They destroyed fifteen percent of a spruce plantation. So they, they these are pretty big rodents we're talking here. Um it got to the point where um someone's dog uh was killed by them. I imagine uh, from, from my experience of some bad dog owners it probably was allowed to run at him by the dog owner and poor thing had it, um Little Terrier. Um and then by nineteen seventy nine they captured or killed them all. Um they fought. But there was sightings in the nineties, which is interesting. Hmm. Um but yeah, so big animals can yes. exist, but we knew they were there, so yes. that's sort of against it. Um, there's the story of the Kellus cat, oh, which yeah? was uh, a large mythical black cat, um, which was mythical until a gamekeeper caught one. <laughs> it's 110 centimetres long, so i not talking huge, but that's still big. And it's a domestic, uh, I think they believe it's a domestic uh, wildcat hybrid. And yeah. there's eight specimens have been. Uh, there was an uh, article, someone analysed eight specimens. One was just a melanistic wild cats I imagine it wasn't that big but um, well this is the thing about the alien big cats kind of uniquely amongst
0: yeah. cryptids they actually turn up occasionally yeah. like they are in some way they're, they're real um, and and yeah, just true. just going off Wikipedia here which yeah, take, take it or leave it for, for what you want but the story I like is about um, the, the the Inverness Puma oh yes actually I'm not going to read I'm not going to take this from Wikipedia I have a better I have a better source. So I have here Arthur C. Clarke's Chronicles of the Strange and Mysterious, Mm -hmm. a 1987 companion book to uh, one of those old... Do you remember Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World? With the Crystal Skulls, that TV show?
1: Oh, vaguely, I think, yeah. So Arthur C.
0: Clarke was a famous science fiction writer. He wrote um, the story that became 2001 Space Odyssey, The Sentinel. Um, And actually, coming back and reading this book, now he only comments in bits, he didn't. The book is actually written by John Uh, fairly in Simon Welfare but Clark does like weigh in uh, occasionally on some of these uh, articles he's this is not as daft as some of the kind of pro paranormal books from this time he is he does look for genuine explanations for things and he's usually happy to to close the case and say okay we know what's going on here Hmm. but I'm going to read a little bit from his section about the British Big Cats right so he talks about um A a situation in Exmoor in 1983 when apparently the Royal Marines were called out to (laughs) to hunt down a cat and he says the beast has joined the gallery of large and strange cats dogs lions pumas cheetahs and leopards reported to be running wild in Britain nearly 1,000 people now claim to have seen the famous Surrey puma Mm. which goes back to the 50s as far as I can tell and might be one of the earliest cultural examples of this in in, in England Um, and have gone to the trouble of telling their stories to the police. Lions have been seen in Flintshire, more pumas in Scotland, bears in Hampshire. This is the most pervasive example in Britain of the problem which faces the sceptical inquirer into mysteries. Can so many people, apparently intelligent and sane, be entirely mistaken? So again, we get into the idea of witness testimony here.
1: But it's, it's interesting because uh, I think those people at least think they've seen them. That are scared to come forward because i've had sometimes you have these conversations with people and i know someone there was a spate of sightings around um the south essex marshes there so the south of basildon when was this i can't remember i think it's the 80s 90s sort of time um and yeah i spoke to someone and it was basically sort of no it's not a question it's just a fact that there was a black cat wandering around and someone i trust um uh, told me a story of how he shot one in Kent. Um, well, some of these stories don't come out for... And he, but he, he said he'd never tell a soul. Yeah. He told me, because he just, that's why I'm not mentioning any names here. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that was... I, I was quite shocked when he told me, you know, because sort of, he's not the sort of person to make stuff up or wind you up or... Yeah. Well, we know this is, we know
0: this does happen occasionally because they do get shot and... They, you know, the, the bodies are found unknown. Not frequently, but,
1: you know, it does happen. As well, say, the 1980 Inverness, Scotland one, it was uh, shot after years of sightings in the area. Yeah. put it, it a... Yeah, um, and the, I think the most intriguing one, um, and I'll probably come to Darren mentions this as well, is that Eurasian lynx in Norwich and Norfolk uh, killed 15 sheep in two weeks, um, and it was confirmed by police at a much later date. Yes. Yes, I I read that only
0: today. The story was kept under wraps for Mm. 15 years and the guy, I think he was a gamekeeper Mm. and he was under investigation for poaching or shooting something he shouldn't have and the police said to him, Mm. what have you got in your freezer? And he said, just a bunch of pigeons and a lynx. Mm. (laughs) And they went in there and sure enough, the lynx that had been there for 15 years and this mystery that had been been a mystery for a long time was suddenly given an explanation and you're right to say that these things might be happening, but people aren't talking about them for social reasons. Yeah. So that's okay. Here, here's what I have to ask, right? We know this is happening occasionally. Yeah. But, sure, like, it, do is it a case where it's a real phenomenon at its core, but then because the idea is in the public consciousness, more people are seeing it than actually are seeing
1: it. Yeah, like, m- I think definitely, a case, uh, you know, you, even if you discredit sort of ninety percent of them, it, percent, it, it still stands. You know it's this argument there's something i mean a bit of a backstory of the law in, in the u k is um oh, in no. the sixties and seventies it was quite yeah. popular to have big cats i mean um, I think the owner of Bristol Zoo used to walk his lion on the lead <laughs> um uh, around vange area and um was it ninety yeah, the world animal Act in nineteen seventy six meant you had to have certain criteria to keep them you have to have a license so a lot of people would have kept those animals, and if they escaped, they'd have been scared to report them because they're doing dumb, basically, for breaking the law. So you can envision a situation where these cats are getting into the wild, and, you, you know, there's always crazy people that want to release these things. How um,
0: long do we realistically think they would have survived? And, like, what kind of numbers...
1: Yeah, I mean there do is we think? a massive. I mean, maybe not in the 80s. There was then. Certainly now, there's a plethora of deer. There's too many deer in this country, so there's yeah. plenty of food. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the argument for lynx reintroduction. I mean, yeah. Lynx were definitely in the UK to 1500s, I think. And there's some speculation that it's later. I mean. Um, but
0: do you, do you see what I mean? What I'm trying to get at here is that like, mm. you have a core of real sightings, and then you have this folklore that builds around them. And yes. because the idea is out there, like. The numbers of people reporting this seem higher than the actual number of sightings probably ought to be. And again, that's speculation. of have nothing to base that yeah, on. And then, but maybe Is it like Bigfoot? Is it like... You know what I mean? Yeah, most you don't have probably to see a big, cats. big cat I
1: mean to remember seeing a big cat. A lot of these videos you see, you look, and it's just hard to gauge a scale. I mean, I've I've been caught out many a time, bird watching or similar, um, where you think, oh, God, that's a big bird, and then it gets closer and it's just a crow. It's just, there's no scale to... Sometimes it's hard to get a scow against something. Exactly.
0: And so, why it could just be a, a big cats are real, and a certain number of these are, are based on a, are an actual physical thing. But why does the phenomena behave mm. just like all these other less believable? People w-
1: want to be the person that's seen it. Why
0: they? are the, Why are all the blurry photos? Yeah. Just like Bigfoot pictures. Look, I've, I, in my book, I've got a picture here of the the Surrey puma, and it's it's crap. It's like why are all the pictures yeah. and all the videos Th- are mouse them up? Impossible they're... to tell what the scale is. Uh, you know why? Do, what, if this is real, then why does it behave yeah. like other paranormal there, phenomena? There's,
1: there's definite fakes out there that um, I, I might mention later. The uh, was it the Fen Tiger, right? Um, there was uh, it's an obvious. I mean, there's a picture there. It's an, obviously a cardboard cutout. Um, <laughs> I could tell you another. I could tell you another story of, of a, a big cat on the loose. Um, a friend of mine, uh, another wildlife photographer, she lives near the New Forest, um, and she was coming out. Uh, t- down the slip road to join the m27 to go off to the new forest for the day and they stopped the car because there's a load of deer and in between it was what looked like a tiger it was obviously a stuff on because all the deer oh, I were remember, around i remember that and then um then when they came back later they found out that someone had thought it was a real tiger yeah a huge police presence yeah I remember up, this. Um, and uh, a helicopter yeah Came in to get a closer look and blew it over. At which point, they all embarrassingly realized it was a stuffed tiger. <laughs> and when I say stuffed tiger, I don't mean a stuffed real tiger, I mean a cuddly yeah, toy, yeah, a big I, one. That was a big, that was a yeah, good news, which was uh, somewhat embarrassing for Hampshire police. But, um, yeah, here's, I mean, there's, there's been photos of cuddly toys that fooled the, the press, but it doesn't seem to take much to fool them sometimes. But here's
0: uh, the story I've got a, a quote here from the Arthur C. Clarke book about the Inverness one. I just think it's really interesting. So this happened in 1980. The animal was eventually named Felicity. It says, Evidence does turn up. Ted Noble, a farmer at Canick near Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands, repeatedly over several months saw his sheep savaged by what looked like a panther or leopard. His neighbour, Jessie Chisholm, had seen the animal only yards away when her hens suddenly started to clamour. By the hen run was a black cat, bigger than a Labrador dog, with a thick tail longer than its body. Then a visitor to Mr Noble's farm brought in the carcass of a lamb. He said he had seen it dropped by a large cat as it jumped over a deer-proof forestry fence. The head of the lamb had been almost severed, and there were deep puncture wounds on both sides of the chest. Uh, It goes on to say that, Finally, spurred by local derision, he constructed a trap. The bait was a sheep's head hung at the back of a disguised cage. One October morning in 1980, Mr. Noble found the trap sprung. Inside was a full-grown female puma. Mr. Noble's losses diminished and the puma went to the Highland Wildlife Park at Kincraig, where she lived happily for another four years. Ever since, there has been the strongest suspicion of a hoax. The puma turned out to be well-fed to the point of obesity and positively friendly to humans. Yet who was hoaxing who and where did the puma come from? So... It's, it's interesting because on the face of it, it's mm. like okay, there's an obvious—it's obvious what's going on here. We caught the cat, but then you have this element that, because I've read about it, apparently the cat was really domestic, yeah. and yeah, um, some of these. I mean, I've, just... it had not the evidence was that it had not been out in the wild very long, mm. and the killings
1: continued after they found it. So, what what, the, what does that even mean? I mean, yeah, there's, uh, uh, there's a story of a lynx called which one was that one that was the yeah there was a lynx caught in 1903 but um yeah, yeah it appeared to have been spent time in captivity yeah, I it was a, oh was the uh, was that puma i think that was the, the one we mentioned earlier about it being i think i might say it was shot but it was actually just captured i think i read somewhere that it liked being tickled but <laughs> well, it doesn't suggest it's a wild animal to me um it's just isn't it so strange that like
0: i do believe there's enough evidence to say this is a real phenomenon, but it's surrounded by so much hoaxing and blurry pictures and like, you know, fal- falsehoods that it, it it's been swallowed up by all of the problems that yeah. that plague cryptozoology in general. That's it's, it's so problem. weird.
1: I mean, um if if we go to Darren's blog, he's he summarizes that you know, the sort of the frustration I suppose of people not taking seriously that there is actually hard evidence. I mean this is it, how long these cats have been in the wild when they're found in the wild is <laughs> up for debate, but the fact that they are found in the wild is not anymore, I mean there's um, cat hairs recovered from a site in Incasher, um, confer- he, he writes, were confirmed by government accredited laboratory as having come from a member of the genus panthera, which is a big cat basically. Um, Droppings in 1993 in county Durham, identified by Hans Kruk as from Puma concolor, which is a Puma, um, this is big because Cruck is a world authority on the field of biology and ecology of carnivorans, and he's been openly skeptical of the existence of these big cats.
0: So he was skeptical, but he, he has confirmed yeah. this
1: evidence. Um, uh, an excellent photo, a series of photos in County Durham, clearly shows a jungle cat. Um, a black leopard was photographed in Wales. Um, I think, I don't know if he mentions it on here somewhere, um, The I think it was the Fenn tiger. There's a really quite a nice video and it certainly walks like a big cat did you say that one did turn out to be a hogs um no i don't know i mean i've got some notes on that the feng. so the feng. Let's, let's talk about the fen cat, shall we um fen tiger sorry our oh, feng tiger so this is a, a series of sightings in cambridgeshire from the mid 80s um there's a few different sightings one there's one 1985 where 12 um baby rabbits died after their hut was ripped open by something Whoa. Well, I don't think a fox is that badger, maybe though. Depends. What what they call by Hutch? It's just white, it isn't a badger, maybe, but it's wood. And I not it's a bit bigger. Um, someone uh, nearby had heard um, a terrible scream, um, and she saw a large, fluffy, furry, reddish-brown-coloured beast sneaking away from their, um, the body of their ten-year-old cat. So it killed a cat. Um, and despite the stories foxes really very rarely kill cats certainly a 10 year old I think would be a bit much for it Um, uh, in the 90s a couple of teenagers um, saw something big and black coming towards them it said it's the size of a dog but moved like a cat and was panting heavily so it sounds like a big cat Uh, again it's all sightings though on this one but there is is a video um, uh, two minutes long so it's not like one of these sort of wobbly screen grab ones. Uh, a large long-tailed cat slinking into the middle of a field, sitting for a short while before darting away at speed. I, don't, hmm. I think I've seen this video from memory. Um, and a Cambridge Universityologist was shown a recording and he believed it to be a three foot high puma, leopard or jaguar, and he was prepared, prepared to place a small bet on it. This is Dr. Keith Eltringham. So. And Of course, you've got of Bobmin as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole so much There's so many. It. Yeah, there's so much mythology about some of these. Um, I mean, some people say it's a phantom cat, some supernatural thing. Um, and I think the, I mean, Cornwall seems to have a lot of these big cat sightings. And it was revealed um, by the owner of Dartmoor Zoo that um, a previous owner had, um, well, actually, it was a circus owner who was meant to give some big cats to the um, the zoo but had instead let three uh, panthers go. So was it a I believe it was panthers. Yeah, uh, let, let them go, so yeah.
0: Okay, so I think for time reasons, we'll mm. bring things to an end. Mm. Uh, Neil, is there anywhere online you'd like people to, you'd like to direct people so they can find your work and things that you've, projects yeah, you're not, doing?
1: There's not very much cryptologic on it, but mostly if you like your wildlife, um, you can find me on uh, a UK Wildlife page on Facebook, um, and I might just tell you my website's what easy place to find me. It's wwwuk as in minus sign, uh, wildlife.co.uk. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Neil, thanks for being on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. I'm Kean and this episode was British Cryptids. If you like the show and you're happy to help us out, there's a few things you can do. We would really, really, really appreciate if you could give a bit of a review on whatever device and whatever programme you're listening to the show. Just a few words and a few stars go a long way towards spreading the word. If you're interested in connecting with us on any social media, you can find us on Twitter, where we're at Strange Ireland give us a like, a share and send the episode to at least one person who you think might like it. Thanks for listening.